From architecture to painting and sculpture, literature to live music and theater, Radio 111 presents Bonnie G and Brian Mendoza with The Desert Scene, your connection to culture and entertainment in the desert cities. Here's Bonnie and Brian. And welcome to The Desert Scene. Happy Halloween weekend. So, Brian, what, you got a costume together? <laughs> Oh, I wish. I mean, there's some costumes I had in mind. I was trying to see if I fit into my old Game of Thrones costume, Jon Snow, but Mm -hmm. that costume is tight and I gained some weight during the quarantine. So a lot of people, I I was one pound away from being not able to fit in that. Yeah, Uh, I gained about five pounds. So not going to be able to fit in that. So are you are you going to any big Halloween parties (sighs) or anything? I wish I wish I think I'm going to stay home and watch some scary movies with my parents. I think they want to see some like spooky ones like Psycho and all that. Okay. What about I, you? I'm not. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> Actually, our neighbor is coming over, Dorothy, uh, who lives next door, who's a little bit older, and she, you know, she just doesn't. We don't have a lot of kids in our neighborhood, so I don't think we're gonna have a lot of. But but she just doesn't want to be alone in her house on Halloween, <laughs> so she's going over to our house and having dinner. So we're just gonna have very low key. So. I was also going to say that, I don't know, but like I've noticed recently, like the last couple of years in my neighborhood, no kids ever come over for Halloween anymore. And I've, I've wondered why. And I asked myself, it's probably the events. I don't know. Like, ha- have you ever had kids in the past come to your house and then lately in like the last couple of years they stopped coming? You know, it's been very. Now, when we were in La Quinta, we had a lot more. When we used to live in La Quinta Cove, now that was a few years ago, but we had, you know, a fairly number of kids. We're in Cathedral City now. And yeah, I mean, I think last year we had one or two. Oh, yeah. Maybe. That's it. <laughs> you know, so, you know. I think, well, first of all, but the pandemic, I think, is part of it. But also, I think there are parents, it's safer to have a controlled, once you have your own controlled little Halloween party at your house, whether you're going to, rather than, and people are worried about, you know, wackos putting razor blades in candy. You know, it's just a lot of issues that 10 years ago, 20 years ago weren't as big a problem i know that like the razor blade thing has been around for a while but i think that there's this conversation about how like the newer generation of parents are super safety conscious Mm -hmm. so they're trying to like like let's go to the church or let's go to like a hospital organized event yeah organized event yeah i think that honestly i kind of i don't want to lose the tradition of kids going house to house because i think that as optimistic as it sounds i don't think that many cycles exist out there that will mess with your kids' candy. No, yeah, I think it's it's a very small number, but um, but these but the other thing is these days there's so much everyone's height angry and tense and uptight about stuff. So I think that that you know maybe plays into it a little bit too. I also think that like one of the things I don't like there's this new trend with um, Halloween decorations that I'm not a big fan of is that I kind of feel like they go away from like the fun of it. And too they, gory, too much gore. Well, that I guess even that, but I'm I'm talking more about like the political side of it. Like oh, when yeah. they add like a, a like a a gory death of like a, a poli- political person. person. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like when you make those ty- when you try to make those types of points, I feel like you're kind of pushing Halloween towards something that I'm not sure that it's about. Like it's, ha- it's not Halloween yeah. is not in my opinion political by any mm-hmm. means. I mean, you can make it the argument that anything is, but it shouldn't be. But Halloween yeah. is like one of those things where you literally become someone else and Mm -hmm. you try to be spooky and like to me it's just bad taste to take like a picture of a famous person and have like gore in it you know I agree I'm not a fan of that but the the other thing is I've heard a couple of stories on Facebook and whatever of people who have like that somebody had a this dummy uh 
and it was laying down and, and its head was uh, uh, like the garage door had come down on its head and there was blood everywhere. And the people were calling the police because things look too realistic. And they think uh, somebody's really dead. I mean, that, to me, that's going a little too far. I, I think. I think that there's a, I, I admire the craftsmanship, but I'm also kind of like, once they start calling the police on you, you better figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I just don't think that's necessary. I mean, have a, you know, there's a fine line between, you know, fun and cute and Casper the Friendly Ghost and pumpkins and, you know, cute witches and then getting really, really gory about it, you know? <laughs> I, th- I was going to say, what do you watch on Halloween? Like, is there any, like... I don't watch scary st- movies. Like, no. Do, what about the Charlie Brown one? I you know did I, I probably missed was that on this year did I miss it was it last night it anyway, was I think it was a couple days ago if anything it's going to be today I don't okay. know let yeah. me that's a good no, that's question. cute I like I mean I used to always watch it as a kid I mean if I'm home and around and it's on I'll watch it just because it's fun you know it's we all need that now we just need lighthearted nostalgia and fun kid stuff you know and what I like about the um I you know there's this like book that i saw called uh, charlie brown religion where they talked about the great pumpkin and how like linus believes in him and it's like this really intellectual like book about it and one of the things i was like you know that poor kid linus you know he just linus he, he just believes in that so hard I love to- linus he's cute <laughs> like yeah and looking back at it i think one of my favorite parts of that special is the part where like they pick up the pumpkin it's like a whole like scene with like that song Linus and Lucy the one that goes do 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 I don't know how to I, yeah. I can't do it but they pull they take the pumpkin home and then Lucy just grabs a knife and stabs it yeah. and he's like oh you, you killed, killed it, it. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you yeah. killed it and then I think I remember also I got a rock yeah yeah what, what did you get I got this I got that what'd you get I got a rock yeah <laughs> It's just cute. And we could all relate to that as kids. Everyone, most people had a moment in their lives where they felt like that as a kid, you know? <laughs> I saw this robot chicken sketch where, like, they do some wordplay where um, this kid's like, I got America. I got Mexico. I got Iraq. Iraq. <laughs> See, I, I'm not a fan of robot chicken. <laughs> just telling you right now. <laughs> Sorry. You know, sometimes like they have some humor in there where I'm like surprised by how lighthearted it is, and I'm like, I got Iraq, Iraq, and I'm like, okay, that's pretty tame. Like, what happened there? I just don't find most of it funny, and you know, Eric, my my sweetie likes Family Guy. I mean, I like yeah, we've talked. I like Stewie, and I like um, Brian. Basically, because they're cute, the cute characters. Stewie's funny, but the rest of it, and I don't really don't like it when you know when there's blood, when the rooster beats him up and he has this fight and punches off the chicken, and they all bloody, or or somebody throws up for five minutes. I I don't. That doesn't do it. I saw, you know, I saw this joke on Family Guy where this character has a sexual relation, sexual relations with someone, and then they vomit like for a whole minute after afterwards, and I thought I can't, I don't can't watch that, and. They were disgusted because of the person they slept with, and I was like, "Okay, what's the joke? Like, I don't get it. Like, yeah. it's actually not funny. Like, no, it isn't funny. I don't think it's funny. Like, I feel like, I, I feel like you have to have a good reason to have that type of level of comedy, mm-hmm. and just having, oh, I think that woman is not pretty enough. It's like, oh lord. But honestly, like when <laughs> I, <laughs> like looking back at like uh, Halloween specials, there aren't as many compared to Christmas because I'm trying yeah. to think. I think there's one that's called like the monster party that's like Rankin Bass. Like mm-hmm. I don't know, I have to look it up, but like mm-hmm. there's this monster party like it's stop motion and it's 
oh if i type in monster party another a dramatic movie comes out oh lord but i don't know it's like a rankin bass oh it's called mad monster party and it has a question mark at the end of it and is it a cartoon is it animated yeah, yeah. it's animated like the rudolph specials it's animated by the same people have you ever okay, seen okay. Yeah, that's cute. I've not, I haven't seen it, but I yeah, that's cute. But I I also was going to ask you like what songs are like for for our viewers what would be some songs you recommend for a Halloween party? Well, Monster Mash Monster is Mash. It. Um well, and you could do Spooky, you know. I mean, there's not that many really that's true i was gonna say thriller by michael thriller, jackson okay yeah, My, yes good point yeah thriller. thriller someone's watching me by rockwell which has michael jackson in it the guy mm-hmm. can't sing in it but michael <laughs> jackson's in it and he yeah. sounds great and then well, what under what else you know somebody you know i heard somebody say i think this this year it's like there's been so much negative and scary so so many scary things going on in the world that's like i don't think we need to scare ourselves additionally <laughs> And somebody else said, you know, I don't need Halloween. I've been wearing a mask and eating candy for the last two years. Why do I need Halloween? I mean, you know, it's, there's some validity to that. I've noticed that there are some people there that don't feel the Halloween spirit yeah. this year. Do you think that's going to carry over to Thanksgiving and Christmas? You know, no, because my personal opinion, because Thanksgiving and Christmas are very positive. Oh, and happy and warm and fuzzy and family and love and all that. And that's part of what we missed during the pandemic when people couldn't get together. You couldn't see your parents, grandparents, kids. So, uh, no, I think this year will be um, people really look forward to that because, um, I mean, you still have to be careful. But hopefully if you're vaccinated, more people can get together now than could last year. That's true. And also, like, um, I think with Halloween, it's one of those holidays where it's very much about community and going outside your home. So, like, I think with Thanksgiving and Christmas, it's about, like, appreciating the people in your home mm-hmm. and having mm-hmm. inviting others to your home if you dare so. And I think in general, like, Halloween's one of those holidays that I think it's positive and sweet, but it's also, like, in my opinion, like, it's just kind of hard to sort of spend time with your family during Halloween in the yeah, same way that not Thanksgiving really and family. And but eating a bunch of candy these days, you know, if you're worried about your teeth or your health, <laughs> not the smartest thing to do, you know. I, I sometimes think about our viewership. I think that not a lot of them are going to go trick-or-treating yeah. with kids or yeah. anything like that. I mean, I think every now and then, uh, I think as an adult, the older you get, it's less and less. But every now and then, if you know, if somebody were know was, was throwing a big, fun costume party or I could see that not every year, but uh, you know, at some point, you know. But I think it's the older you get, the less uh, it becomes. And also an issue. because, like, I think with Halloween, you can't take the day off. So, for example, like if you have work that day, it's not really convenient to go out in a costume and stay out late versus mm-hmm. Thanksgiving and Christmas, which are complete. You can have those days right, off. Those like, are considered, yeah, major like, holidays. Yeah. Have you ever worked Halloween? Like I've worked Halloween, and I can tell you that. It's not as fun because of the fact that you do have to work. I, I, I'm sure I have. It just doesn't stand out in my brain, you know, as being an issue either way. Um, but, yeah, it's not. And also, I, I think that another reason why people aren't in the Halloween mood this year is because I think a lot of people felt cheated last year because Halloween was on a Saturday last year. And so that was the day, like, kids can stay out a little later and, mm-hmm. you know, not have to worry about school the next day and they can mm-hmm. just go home and rest and because of the pandemic you couldn't there was limited amount of halloween events you know i'm sure people still went out of their way to do things but 
this year because it's on a Sunday. Monday is the next day. Like I can't do anything for Halloween mm-hmm. tomorrow because of the fact that on Monday I have to wake up at seven in the morning. Yeah. yeah. So I don't want to wake up feeling bad. I don't know if you're like me, but if I have something to do at eight in the morning, I wake up at seven because I don't want to feel horrible. I have to give myself that half an hour of oh, I feel horrible. And then at 7.30, I wake up and I'm all perky. Yeah. Go do no, I definitely that. need to, some wake up time. The other thing is, real quick, um, you know, when, I, when we were kids, we also sometimes would, I don't even know if it's still around, trick-or-treat for UNICEF. Okay. United Nations International Children's Emergency Fund, you had a little, this little cardboard box thing and you say trick or treat for UNICEF and people would just put in pennies or nickels or money and you'd collect money rather than give me a bunch of candy so I don't know if they're still around people still do that I think that they still do yeah they do actually mm-hmm. they still have like I think they have a virtual fundraiser okay but which makes sense yeah and I know that for example like they went out of their way to put this campaign out like trick or, tr- uh, trick or treat for UNICEF mm-hmm. is not cancelled like yeah. I do remember the ads. I wish yeah. that they put out the ads more. We used to do it as kids. Called, I remember several years we did that in, instead of asking for candy. So. And and I think that, I think with that, it, and sometimes they just give you the candy too. And, tw- oh, and that was fine. <laughs> well, you know, we didn't have a problem with that. <laughs> if you want to do both, that's great too. All right, we got a lot, a lot of entertainment news and some great guests coming up a little bit later. We'll be back with more on the Desert Team. Desert Scene on Radio 111. Cultural events and the people who make it happen in the desert cities with Bonnie G and Brian Mendoza. And we're back on the desert scene. So uh, our next segment, we're going to talk to fa- the fabulous Chip Miller, who's a uh, local and national filmmaker. We're, t- we're going to talk about uh, gun safety on sets. But we wanted to get into co- some, some other aspects of the whole uh, tragedy and the Alec Baldwin thing. And I know, uh, Brian, you were talking about, you know, Alec Baldwin is a controversial figure he kind of attracts you either love him or hate him most people and so you knew that some people were going to take this opportunity to just slam the heck out of him so let's talk about that a little bit you know for me i was saying this on flicks and picks that i do believe that there are good faith criticism of what happened i feel like if you said hey alec baldwin and everyone on set should have been more responsible they should have been a lot of people should yeah like a lot everybody on set should have had training but this is my thing about it if you're going to critique for example, Adam Baldwin, and I said this last... And he's no last. relation, right? No, okay. no relations. Who uh, is he? Who is Adam Baldwin? I'll show you a picture, but okay. um, he... Is he a radio host, or who is No, he? he's an actor. Okay. He's an actor. Okay. He's an actor who's known for having, you know, the opposite of the beliefs that Adam, Alec Baldwin has. Like, you've oh, seen... You might have seen him in Starship Troopers, Full Metal Jacket, Firefly, so he's been in a couple of things. Okay. All right. But I basically was... I saw this article that... I I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes you stumble onto an article and you're not sure about the news source. And then when mm-hmm. the moment you read it, it's like, okay, this is a little bias. Like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Because one of the things the article said was Adam Baldwin, who knows how to shoot a gun. And I'm saying they're like, Adam Baldwin basically called out Alec Baldwin saying, you know, like, you criticize gun owners and all that stuff. But 
you don't know how to shoot a gun. And my first thought is, here's what I would have done instead of doing all that nonsense of criticizing it. Why, if you are an actor who knows how to shoot a gun, why don't you offer to go on set and go talk to Alec Baldwin and talk and figure out like hey what happened man yeah, like i know be, be part of the solution yeah and yeah. that's what i said last uh, segment because i w- last um uh, uh when i did flicks and picks earlier today i was saying that it is okay for you to extend across the aisle and say you know what you made some comments that i don't agree with about gun safety so i'm gonna go ahead because what happened that didn't need to happen maybe we should talk and have a conversation about Mm -hmm. this but i think that it's a lot easier to just generate tweets pile on it's piling on yeah yeah Yeah. and i feel like it all stems from the fact that like him and another commentator i like to call them the commentators Mm because that's all they do is just talk and adam baldwin's not acting right now so i'm like okay well you know they didn't hire consider you consider the source yeah you know consider yeah co- consider that source but yeah. candace owens basically said this where she basically said she deleted this tweet. she's like you know this would be a poetic justice if someone didn't die if he didn't murder someone and i was sitting there like and i said this last show i'm promoting my show sadly mm, <laughs> i was like right. the, i was gonna say like I think that it's like me saying, wow, Bonnie, this food, this put food poisoning my friend here that you made, you know, it would be poetic justice because I hate your food, but too bad they killed someone. Like that's, that yeah. would be like, it's unnecessary, that's totally unnecessary. Like someone's yeah. dead. Like yeah. why do you have to say that? And yeah. I feel like also it's one of those things where people want to attack someone politically for some, oh, and using a horrible accident to do it. It's mm-hmm. like, I feel like, I feel like it's so much easier to just do that than of to course actually it is. come, come of up with a solution. Yeah. And in the case of Candace Owens. Now, what's her, I know the name, but what's her claim to fame? She's basically famous for being a right wing conservative. She's is bas- she on one? Is she on Fox or on one of those? She gets to be on Fox every uh, once in a okay. while, but she's, a, right. she's an independent one. And she, I think she just didn't need to say that. That's no, my first thought. Of course thought. she didn't. No. And also, I feel like if your concern is like, well, you know, he made fun of Donald Trump on SNL, which not to be that person, but it wasn't. It's a totally separate issue. Mm-hmm. Has nothing to do with it. You know, I mean, that's just childish. I mean, that's really childish. And, you know, I think it's just it's a tragedy. I think there there were and we'll talk to Chip about this. Like I said, there were several checkpoints along the way that all failed. Yes. You know, it's not one person's fault. Does Alec Baldwin bear some responsibility? Sure. Does the uh, the assistant director hand in the gun and said it was cold? Sure. Does the armor of the woman? All kinds. There's all kinds of people that bear responsibility. Yeah, and they all agree that they're not sure how the live rounds came on yeah. set. And also, right now, there is we're going to talk to Chip about this, but like the boys and the rookie, two TV shows that were known for having a lot of gun violence and all that they're going to stop using live rounds Good. and they also decided that if they're going to use guns they will be um the airsoft ones like the ones that are literally for toys mm-hmm, like the mm-hmm. toy guns and yep. they'll use cgi yeah which is what a lot of sets already do mm-hmm. and and it's apparently just as realistic and boy you know i would far rather watch a, a tv show or a movie and say hmm that fu- that bullet just fired well yeah, it doesn't look all that realistic then risk somebody dying and also because you know. like when you go back and watch the 1950s with the mo- movies from the 50s yeah, with I mean, like who cares it's not that big a deal you know if it doesn't look a thousand percent realistic like you know? i was watching high noon and the the final scene where the villain gets shot 
he falls down and you can tell it wasn't entirely like yeah real but you still bought it because yeah. it's a great it's film. a movie it's you're suspending disbelief yeah and, so. no, and no one genuinely wants to shoot anybody no. on set so and i you know alec baldwin i mean alec baldwin has had some bad PR over the years and been known kind of as a jerk and wasn't a great husband to Kim Basinger. All the kind, you know, he's not my favorite person in the world, but you shouldn't uh, jump on, pile on because of this issue. It's a tragedy. And not so. to use this to to make yourself more famous. Exactly, you know? exactly. All right, we're going to take a break and then we're going to talk to Chip Miller, a local filmmaker who's going to give us his professional view on this whole situation. We'll be back with more on the desert scene. and Brian continue with the desert scene on Radio 111. Here they are. And we're back on the desert scene and I'm really excited that we're joined now by Chip Miller who is a based here locally but he's worked all over the country and I guess all over the world. A prolific filmmaker and director. I put out his bio with all his films like four or five pages of things that he's directed and also produced and art direction and that kind of stuff. Chip, hey, thanks, thanks for being with us today. How are you doing? My pleasure. Good to hear your voice, Bonnie. Yeah. So, uh, and it's Desert Cam C A M. Uh, that's your your studio. And you now is you, are you based in Palm Desert or in India? Where are you actually based? Well, we have a little stage in La Quinta, but okay. our offices are in Palm Desert, and then we okay. have an office in Burbank at Warner Brothers. Okay. And yeah, and he's and you've been in this business a long time. How many years would you say? Oh uh, well, let's see. I moved to Hollywood in '81. Um, and I sort of started as a development executive for a few years. So technically, as a producer director, it didn't really kind of, kind of kick off till around eighty six, eighty seven. And would you say directing is your number one? I know you do a lot of directing, different things. Yeah. Well, directing, screenwriting, uh, producing, editing, kind of in that order. And then of course I have other things that are not related to film, like yeah. a, you know I have a band and all that stuff. But for film, yeah, mainly directing, writing, producing, mm-hmm. and editing. Okay, one more quick question, and then we'll get into the Alec Baldwin thing. What's your What's your latest project that we can look forward to that you want to just? Well, we're doing. With? A, we're actually doing a project of, strangely enough, something that's not my normal genre. We're doing a family picture with uh, Kevin Sorbo. Okay. Uh, we start that in February, uh, and we've got a project, a series we're doing. Actually, it's an indigenous series with an indigenous heroine, a female heroine. Excellent. We're doing that at Amazon Prime. That's keeping us busy, and we've got several things planned for 2022. A nice, ambitious slate. Excellent. All right, let's get into the Alec Baldwin thing. So I wanted to have someone on the show who had some, you know, a lot of practical experience in the film industry who's maybe dealt with this specific issue. So if you would, give us your general view of the incident and um, uh, how, you know, how prevalent is this kind of thing? Well, um, it shouldn't be at all, um, because normally these things fall into, you've heard it all on the news before, so I'm sure I can't add mm-hmm. not, too much new to the scenario. Uh, we all know what an armor is at this point. We mm-hmm. all know what an AD is at this point. Um, but the AD, is a, that's a touchy scenario, mm-hmm. because AD stands for assistant director, and right. most directors in the business, most filmmakers in the business will tell you they actually have a problem with that title, and that's been going on since the 40s, mm-hmm. that it should really be more like either stage manager or it should be maybe assistant to director. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people see assistant director and they think they're like co-directing the, the, the movie. And so there's often clashes between the director mm. and the crew and 
the AD. So an AD can make or break a production. If they've got a really rough personality and they're really pushing, 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 they can aggravate a crew, they can aggravate time sequences, they can aggravate scene setups. If they're great, everything moves like like smooth as silk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, about in the late 90s, my wife, Travis, who's a, a producer and, and, and an editor, she was working on a big film in Long Beach. I won't mention the film, but it was okay. made national news when the accident happened. Okay. You may remember it was in Long Beach and a big explosion took place on a ship. And there were five stuntmen all went to the hospital, three of them with serious burns. Mm. My wife was right there when that happened. And the reason that happened is because the AD refused to do safety tests. He said, we have no time. We already did one. So he kind of of broke the golden rule. And my golden rule, and most people's golden rules on a set, is you assume nothing and you confirm everything. Four Mm. simple words we always say to a crew. So I'm not sure what took place in Santa Fe, but I, I actually did work with several of those crew people in Santa Fe when we did a concert there a few years ago. So mm-hmm. they're very savvy crew, very savvy people. Even though it's not Hollywood, they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know where the AD comes from, but I suspect he comes from the Albuquerque area. So it seems to me that either the AD kind of stepped around certain bounds, didn't follow certain procedures. He should have never had his hands on a gun at all. An AD does not handle weapons or even touch a weapon, even a prop weapon. Mm. So why he did that and pulled it off the truck and yelled that I have no idea. Most people are still scratching their heads. In terms of the armor, my only comment there, and I'll try to stay politically correct, is that you know there's a big move right now in the industry for diversity, um, mm-hmm. and 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 that's important. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of the projects we're doing in you know involve diversity big time, uh, but also with diversity, sometimes you have a tendency to push people into positions they're not ready because, for, you know, to, and they're not yeah. ready for it. Mm-hmm. So I know nothing about the armor. I'm sure she's a very charming young lady, yeah. but as soon as I saw that she was Hispanic and she was a female and she was young, I thought, uh oh, seems to me like you know somebody was pushed into a job and weren't quite ready for it yet. Mm. So that was a delicate situation. The the actor, unfortunately, is always the one that's put in the bad position. Yeah. Um, it wasn't Alex's fault by any means at all. So it's a it, it's a touchy thing, but it should have never happened. Uh, I don't. I mean, obviously, you know, we all know that uh, Bruce Lee's son was killed in, right. in a gun accident many years ago. Mm-hmm. So they're they're spaced out enough that it's not like a recurring problem. But you do get sloppiness sometimes on a set, especially if it's a non-union picture or if they mix non-union with union. Mm-hmm. And I think Alex's picture, from what I understand, was a very low-budget film. And when you have a low-budget film, you need to keep rates down, so sometimes you can't afford a union person, so you get a non-union person, and you just kind of mix the two with waivers. So I don't know if that's the reason why they had to hire a lot of low-budget people and beginners and stuff. I, again, I don't, I really don't know, but I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure... Whatever it was that resulted in, in, in those in that accident, it was obviously human error. And who's yeah. human error? Yeah. Obviously, that's still an investigation. And and I, I don't know if this, but I had heard through news reports that apparently that some union crew member, members had walked off the set earlier that day because they, of safety concerns. Yeah, a half an hour before, yeah. I think an hour, an hour and a half yeah. before. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they, that, that shocked me. when I, In fact, I knew that before it hit the news because my partner's wife uh, works at HBO, and so she's with all the unions, and she heard that within an hour mm. of the announcement that the accident uh. happened, that there was a crew that had walked off, key yeah. crew. Uh, two, so uh, that's sad. I have two, two, two main questions for you. First of all, so if the AD, so wh- who should have been handling the gun? Was it the, Does the armor handle, hand the gun to the actor? Strictly the armor and the prop master. So okay. in this case, it would be the armor. He mm-hmm. would take the gun, the prop master would order it, and accompany the armor who would walk up to the actor holding the gun straight down. Mm-hmm. He would announce what condition the gun is in, and of course it should be always 
why that happened. Um, so, yeah, that's how it would be done. The AD is nowhere near that. But I think in the aggression of pushing for a schedule, the AD probably just grabbed it and just, you know, went beyond what he was supposed to be doing. Mm. And will you just answer my next question, because I had heard that live ammunition is never supposed to be on a, on a never. movie set, correct? Never, 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 never. The only time live, live ammunition enters into a production is when the crew leaves the set. There's a special section of, the, of a soundstage or, on, or, or on the, if they're on location, there's a special area because maybe they want to get the actual sound, sound of the gun and the flash and the smoke that you can't get with blanks. But then there's nobody there but a stuntman and armor, a separate camera, and no crew, no actors are anywhere near it. But otherwise, on a set, no. No yeah. live ammunition. Uh, Chip, my, Brian has a question for you. Well, I guess it's not yes, so much sir. a question, but it's like, you know, it's just... I know you were saying earlier that sometimes people get put into positions, and I think one of the things we have to remember is that the armor, even though she had said, you know, I, I wanted to have more meetings and I wanted to have more conversations about right. safety. I think because she was so young and so inexperienced that maybe she didn't have like the actual the power. Like, power to do that. And so right. I think that's another situation where like sometimes we have to like, you know, not underestimate the, the potential instincts. Cause I know that maybe her skill set might not be there, but it could be that she had some really good instincts regarding the situation. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you, yeah. what do you think about that? Well, no, I, I, I actually think that that, was the, that qualified her, in my opinion, when I heard that interview that she gave where she said, no, I was scared to take it. I wasn't sure I was right for the job yet. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the people should have, she should have said that to the producers, and if the producers had that sense, they should have tested her, had more meetings with her, or made another decision. So she went into it a little bit apprehensive, and it's kind of a shame now that, you know, a lot of the, lot of the clouds are going to be dumped on, on her. On her, yeah. Do, what do you think about, I've heard people say, there are, I guess there are a lot of film sets, intelligence sets, where they don't, they use use CGI for the, the gunshot, and, and I guess that's becoming a little bit more of the trend. What's your feeling on that? Well, we the, the three or four times I've been involved with projects that involve guns, it's always been in post-production. We do it. Mm-hmm. We never mm-hmm. have even flashes on the set. So, yeah, that is kind of the more routine to do it, more routine way to do it. However, there's another phenomena taking place in the industry besides the diversity thing, and that is when the word content entered our world about three, four years ago, uh, now suddenly productions are filling vast holes. So productions mm-hmm. are moving faster, productions are going into production oh. quicker, corners are being cut, scripts are not being developed enough. Uh, even mm-hmm. when you look at stuff on television these days, you notice how sometimes the sound is terrible, yeah. or the music, I'm sure I'm sure you know of all things, Bonnie, yeah. the music in the background of a lot of these films are very synthetic, and they sound yeah. like library music. Uh, so it's just they're cutting corners to, to fill quota, right. basically. Two, two other questions for you. Um, um, uh, it just went right on. Oh, what, what, would you, what would you like to see happen from this? And who do you think ultimately will bear responsibility, maybe legal responsibility? Well, legal responsibility, unfortunately, is probably going to fall on the production company because mm-hmm. uh, you know when they when you hire someone, they're under your jurisdiction, right. under your banner. So yeah, they're them and their insurance are going to take the, the the hilt on this. The AD will probably have his career ruined because mm-hmm. this is not the first time I understand. He was fired from something else. I heard. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and what? So what? What changes would you like to see in the industry? Hopefully, something positive could come out of this. Well, something positive probably comes out of tragedy, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so I would just obviously like to see higher safety standards. 
Uh, we're, we're kind of, we may have also dropped some of our normal safety standards that, that we normally would have because after the pandemic had shut production down for two years, everybody is so anxious right. to get back into shooting. So I think maybe, you know, some again, some corners were cut or some things were overlooked just in the anxiousness to be back in business again. But safety is always the key. Uh, you must have, you can't, like I said before, four simple words, assume nothing, confirm everything. And that goes for everything on the set. Yeah. And uh, Alec Baldwin, not only is an actor, he was, I guess, one of one of the producers. So th- yes. he's going to bear a little more responsibility because of that. He'll right? bear it. Well, he'll bear it because he's, yeah, he's part of the production company. So yeah. it, uh, Alec's company, I mean, the insurance will take care of everything. It's not yeah. going to hurt his career as an actor, yeah. but he, he will bear it, unfortunately, as will the production company. And what do you feel about, um, my personal opinion is, I, 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 I don't want to see this film completed. I would not go see it. You know? No, but you know it will be, and yeah. you know people will go out of curiosity, just right. like they've done with like when the Twilight Zone. Oh yeah, yes, with Vic Morrow. Yeah, so it you know it happens. Curiosity gets the best of people, and also the investors that invested in this film, but somewhere down the line they're going to de- demand this thing goes back into production, right. or they get their money back. So it'll 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 come back into production somewhere down the line. They might change the title. I have no idea, but it, it won't sit in limbo unless legalities tie it up. Yeah. Yeah. And what about like well yeah legalities like maybe what could the the poor woman who was killed her family sue or something to stop it I mean absolutely. that could hold things absolutely. up absolutely yeah absolutely yeah I would also say that there might be also a push towards like it could be the opposite where Helena's family would want the f- her work released yeah. because I mean, it was her she, last project yeah, yeah maybe she did shoot some things you know so yeah. it's not it's not like she isn't completely divorced from it in that sense so. yeah. Yeah, the thing is, though, that the problem they're going to face creatively is that the fi- the picture's not finished. Right. There's still a lot more to shoot, so obviously they have to bring in another DP, and if they bring in another DP cinematographer, that's a different style, a different look, a different mm-hmm. feel, because every one of them have a different feel. So that's a decision they're going to have to make. Do they want to salvage part of what she did and just come in with somebody else and call it a different style purposely, mm-hmm. mix and match, uh, or try to match hers? I don't yeah. know, but it's not... A completed film yet so whether or not her work survives or is a question yeah. Or, yeah they may yeah. shoot the whole thing over again yeah yeah chip miller thank you so very much for being with us i really wanted to get somebody with a perspective uh, professional perspective you really uh, added a lot so best of luck on your next uh, uh project come back again and talk about that and thank you so much for being with us appreciate absolutely. it absolutely and i enjoy listening to you guys so thank you so much and uh, and best to you bonnie Good all right to talk to thank you, you so much chip miller i'll be take back take care brian okay care. we'll be back with more on the desert scene musical theater to literature and all the other stuff we enjoy in between making desert life so vibrant you're listening to bonnie g and brian mendoza and the desert scene on radio 111 here's bonnie and brian you know bonnie as i was saying earlier that i wanted to bring up this point because i know that we're talking about this subject for a while now but 
You know, the one genre of film that hardly has as many accidents is horror films. Which I, which is kind of interesting when you think about it. Yeah. Like, I, I know that they've had accidents, like with The Exorcist, the actress Ellen Bernstein, you know, got pushed a little hard, but, you know, she didn't, you know, nothing. No major. No yeah. major accident. Like, yeah. it's weird because, like, these accidents happen and you see them on screen, but, like, you would think that with slasher films, that because there's so just, much simulated violence that you'd have more accidents. Yeah. Ta- talk about the one with the padding, the scream, scream three. Yeah. So, like, I wanted to talk about this one because mm-hmm. this one was surprising to me. But so Nev Campbell and was in was basically in Scream three for about twenty minutes. So mm-hmm. she, I imagine that she, she was super rushed and all that. So I imagine that's what happened. But um. Right now, I'm buying time because I'm trying to remember the actor's name. Scott Foley. Scott Foley. Okay. So Scott Foley plays the killer in Scream Three. Okay. And so the moment that he's revealed, he basically him and Nev Campbell have this fight, and there's this moment where like Scott Foley is just kind of has his back turned, and Nev Campbell's character Sydney stabs him in the back with a um, I think it was like an ice pick. Mm-hmm. And so what had happened was that. The actor Scott Foley had padding, and because they were going to use an actual ice pick, mm-hmm. and so she stabbed him, and it turns out that the ice pick broke through the padding, padding and actually stabbed him in the back, right where his shoulder blade is, and so he managed to get away just fine. But afterwards, he said that he had to go get stitched get up a little bit at the hospital, not, make sure he was okay. I mean, he, yeah, it wasn't, as, but that had to hurt. It, it <laughs> I would hurt. imagine, yeah. No, it definitely hurt. But it's interesting because, like, I saw this documentary right this morning on Vox. Mm-hmm. It's on YouTube where they talk about like the ways that slasher films go out of their way to use like fake, fake stuff, fake mm-hmm. stuff to mm-hmm. really simulate like violence, but that they're really safety concerns for example like they have to move the night like for example in the famous scene in scream you with drew barrymore if you notice her body moves a certain way so you don't see the retractable knife mm-hmm. go through but they still have to be careful with it so they try to do this thing where they you don't see the knife being pushed in mm-hmm. being retractable but mm-hmm. you also do it in an angle where you don't directly touch her mm-hmm. so you'll be so when you watch it it looks real because of the, your mind, your mind plays yeah. tricks mm-hmm. on you, making you feel like it's happening. And also, if you think about it, most horror films, they don't show people getting stabbed. Like, think about it. Cycle, you don't see the knife really go yeah, in. Yeah, you see, you, see you see the knife go up and down, and then you see blood go down the, the shower, but you don't see. You're right. You're right. And also in Scream 2, when Jada Pinkett Smith gets stabbed in the beginning... It's weird because I forget that. I haven't seen any of those. So, Scream Two. They show a part where he stabs her, and she looks down, and the camera, right, the black bars, the aspect ratio cuts it just enough so that way you don't see. You'll see like his hand, but mm-hmm. you don't see like the knife or yeah. anything like that. Yeah. And the idea is that like it's sound effects. They use oh, sound, sure. and they use like what they do is they don't show the puncture of the weapon as much. They show, let's say. The aftermath mm-hmm. and that's what really convinces people and i think that that's actually a really smart way of like simulating on-screen violence because again I, i'm not i'm never going to advocate for movies to be less violent but i also believe that like you should be always careful while making mm-hmm. a movie and it's interesting that the horror genre which always gets labeled with this moral panic of like destroying mm-hmm. society that they're mm-hmm. the ones who are mm-hmm. actually going out of the way to protect people they also use cgi knives yeah. so scream yeah. four 
it's interesting. Scream is the history of knives. Yeah. But Scream Four, they use CGI. Yeah. And the knife, and I can show you how it looks, but I have to ask you a question. Yeah. So you you like? I'm getting the feeling that you you kind of like horror movies in general. Yes. Wait. So tell me why why you like them. I'm curious about that. I think horror films, if they're well done, can actually get into. They can be both hopeful in a lot of ways because at the end of it, after all the struggle and everything, somebody the bad guy sometimes defeated. And I think I love seeing. I also love seeing horror films like um, like Eve's Bayou that really examine like the way our society looks at things or the way that we have conversations i think there are very unique ways there's a bigger story behind it just not besides just and also how we feel about ourselves so like Mm -hmm. if you see a horror film where a woman is having like repulsion a movie about a woman who feels completely losing control of her sexuality then that's really powerful i think movies like that are really powerful but but, okay but um then i'm wondering is does a lot of violence in that movie always enhance the story is my not, question not always i do okay. believe that like if you don't know how to tell your story with violence and i don't you just know, don't just throw it in there for you yeah, know yeah i've seen some horror like halloween kills came out and i'm tempted to say that that's a movie that they wanted to make a super it's a new one with jamie lee curtis yeah. With, yeah i feel like they wanted to make a super violent movie as opposed to like a great movie yeah. so like i've had some people really not like it for that reason I do think, for example, like Psycho is very good about it. Psycho, Nightmare on Elm Street, that there are certain horror films that can pull off violence, but I think violence should be the seasoning on top of a great story. Uh, that's a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it, Brian. I'm, a, I'm very impressed with that. All right, we're gonna we're gonna totally switch gears our next hour. We're gonna uh, first guest is gonna be Patricia Welch, a wonderful singer. who has got a big show, new show at Indie Wells Resort. We'll be back with more on the desert scene. architecture to painting and sculpture, literature to live music and theater. Radio 111 presents Bonnie G and Brian Mendoza with The Desert Scene, your connection to culture and entertainment in the desert cities. Here's Bonnie and Brian. And we're back on The Desert Scene and we're now totally switching gears to more happy, pleasant stuff, no more guns and violence. We're talking to Patricia Welch, who is a fabulous singer if you haven't heard her in the run in the desert you need to go out and hear her and she's got a, a new show new season of shows at the indian wells resort hotel hi patricia how are you hi bonnie i'm fine thank you so thank the, you for having me on your show of course so this is so exciting because you're teaming an evening of elegance i'm looking at your flyer uh with you and mark antonelli um and he's fabulous he sings josh groban michael buble and, and andrea bocelli and of course your background is amazing started with yul brenner um so tell us about how this show came together with the two of you well i actually have been working at the Indian Wells Resort for a few years, and I've been doing uh, my own show, which is pretty taxing, standing up there three mm-hmm. hours. Singing. Yes, it is. So, 
and I was talking to my boss, and he wanted to make some changes, and so he said, I said, I don't know if I could do three hours again next season, honestly. And he said, well, do you know of a male singer? And I said, as a matter of fact, I do. A very, very good one. In fact, I think, in my opinion, I think he's the best male singer in our valley. He is just fabulous. And so that's how it all happened. And so um, when we got together, we all sat down, we penciled in a show, and then Mark and I started rehearsing, and we have... We're working up 30 duets for our show. Now, that, of course, those 30 duets won't be in one show. Mm-hmm. What, we, what we do is we change the duets out, and mm-hmm. every night that we have a show, which is Fridays and Saturdays, we do 10 duets in that particular show. And mm-hmm. then maybe like for the next weekend, we'll do 10 different, different duets, ones. or right. we'll swap them out, right, so that we give the audience different solos, different duets, so they have a fresh show every time they come. Mm-hmm. That's fabulous. Uh, and we, we launched last weekend, by the way, and so this is our second weekend. We have a show tonight. <laughs> Ex- excellent. Now, so was it difficult to um, sit down and come up with, I mean, and there's a billion songs out there, but, you know, c- yeah. kind of come up with who's going to do what and find, find the duets. Was that a challenging process, or did it all seem to sort of come together easily? It was challenging, and I'll tell you why, because there really aren't a lot of male-female duets that are really beautiful. We were, we, our show is called Evening of Elegance, mm-hmm. and so we, we honed in on duets that are really, really beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, some familiar, some not so familiar, that people, you know, that we could, and then some songs we turned into duets mm-hmm. that were solos that we made into duets. So it has been a lot of work, mm-hmm. but, you know, good things happen when you work hard, and yes. so um, we've been working on it pretty much all summer long, mm-hmm. and we've come up, as I said, with a 30 uh, thirty. Actually, I think we're at thirty-one duets that we're working on. We don't have them all worked up yet, but mm-hmm. you know, it's little by little. But we have some really beautiful duets like "Beauty and the Beast." Oh, and that's great. You raise me up mm-hmm. and up where you belong and Nessendorma. Because mm-hmm. Mark and I both have. Not only do we have that, we have heads and tails. We both can sing pop as well as mm-hmm. the legit. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, my heart will go on. Yes. Um, both sides now. Sarah Bareilles and um, Josh Groban did a beautiful rendition of Both Sides Now, which is a little modern mm-hmm. version of it. Mm-hmm. You know, so we do that, and uh, you know, it's, it is challenging, but it's fun. But the nice thing about it is, like last night when we did our show, I can sit down for twenty five minutes when yeah. Mark is doing his solos, and yeah. then he can sit down for twenty five minutes when I'm doing. So we give each other breaks, breaks. and then we're up there together. It just makes it such an easier show. Yeah. And, and the audience is really receptive. In fact, this is the first time that I've performed at the Indian Wells Resort that the audience stays the entire time of our show. What a compliment that is. Absolutely. They're there from 5.30 ordering their dinners, mm-hmm. and then they sit there. And we, we do end the show a little early just to give people a little break. You know, not mm-hmm. give, it's better to give them a little less than more. Mm-hmm. But we start the show at 6.00. We do an hour and ten, about an hour and fifteen minutes for the first set. Mm-hmm. We take a fifteen-minute break and then we finish it out with another set, and we're done. Mm-hmm. So we're done by eight forty-five. Okay. And then a lot of people like like to stick around and talk to us afterwards. Which yeah. Is nice. Now, so. do you do you do you uh, do you sing with tracks, or do you have a, a trio behind you? We sing with tracks. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But we have really good, good tracks. Yeah. Mark especially. He's right. I don't know where he digs them out, but he finds the most beautiful tracks, beautiful arrangements. So... And so let's talk about your, your background a little bit. Uh, so where, where are you from originally? I was actually um, born in Steubenville, Ohio. Okay. I was born into an Italian family. I'm 100% Italian on okay. both sides, okay. <laughs> mother and father. And, um, and then I went off to uh, studied with Metropolitan Opera Spinto, Francis Yen. And then after college, I went to New York. Mm-hmm. And that's where I got my big break with Yul Brenner. I played the role of Tup Tim in The King and I mm-hmm. um, from 1980. This is going to really date me, but yeah. 1980 to 85. And, um, and, and then I went all over to uh, Las Vegas mm-hmm. and then co-starred with Robert Goulet. And then I was a featured soloist in The Wayne Newton Show. Wow. And then I ended up in the desert with my husband. My husband has five children here in the desert, and uh, so we moved here to be with family. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know what kind of a career I would have after leaving Las Vegas. I thought, well, mm-hmm. I guess this is it. Mm-hmm. Little did I know that I'm working more now, and I'm loving it more yeah. than I ever did yeah. in the past. You That's know? great. Yeah. So I have to ask you, I mean, of course, everyone loves his voice. What was Robert Goulet like personally to work with? Was he, was he easy to work with? Absolutely easy, yeah. sweetest, sweetest guy. Um, you know, they say every actor, singer has an ego. I guess mm-hmm. we all do. But mm-hmm. he was the nicest, most generous guy. I sat in the limousine with him and his wife whenever we were on any road trip. Mm-hmm. We had dressing rooms, and he had a dressing room right next to mine with his name real big on the door. My name was real big on the door. I was like, oh, my gosh, they're giving yeah. me, like, equal billing with him? Wow. I was... I was I was floored. Yeah. And he, you know, and he didn't like, he didn't say anything about it negative. He was fine. He was yeah. cool, you know. And he would joke with the band when, before we, the show, you know, before Curtain Up was up, you know, he would just stand there and tell jokes. And mm-hmm. then the curtain, and then my mic went out one night uh, when we were in Reno. I uh. blew a capsule in the microphone. It wasn't my mic, but it was the, the house mic. Yeah. And Robert Goulet traveled with this beautiful, like, gold, gold mic, mm-hmm. I guess. You know, I guess it's really expensive microphone. Yeah. And we were doing a duet together, and he's just like handing the mic over to me and back to him till they could, you know, after that song, then they they came with another mic. But I mean, during that that uh, duet, we were sharing his mic. Wow. He was just so gracious. Gracious, yeah. Just, yeah, just really wonderful guy to work with. Same question about Yul Brenner. Yul Brenner? Yeah. Very, very intense. Yeah. Very quiet. Never said anything unless it was very important. I think. Uh. Yul Brenner was a very, very intelligent man, mm-hmm. and he was very, um, well, he sat every, you know, of course he came on stage right after I sang My Lord and Master, which was mm. one of my solos in the show, yeah. but he sat there and watched me every single show, all the way to the end. They were giving him oxygen at the end, you know, he was very sick <gasps> yeah. during the last, I did the last six, six months on Broadway with yeah. him. And he was really, really sick. We had to cut the show short after six months. Mm-hmm. But but he sat there and watched, you know, watched me sing. And I mean, he was just really wonderful guy too. I mean, I I don't have a bad thing to say about it. They were yeah. all yeah. good to me, you know. So same with Wayne Newton. Wayne yeah. Newton had a family. His family was involved. That was fun. His his mother his mother in law did concessions. His uh, sister-in-law did PR. I love that. That's great. His little girl, who was like three or four at the time when I was doing the show with him, was came in my dressing room, sat with me, and she would 
like zip me up and get mm-hmm. my jewelry ready, you know, yeah. little tasks that she was just made her feel like she was part. I mean, she yeah. was just it was just a a family show. We all traveled together. It was wonderful. Yeah. And then we were in, of course, in Las Vegas too. Yeah. So. So, uh, have you had, and I know you said when you moved to the desert you weren't sure, but have you had the career you thought you would? Has it surpassed your expectations? I mean, I know you're st- still going. It's not like it's over, but um, is, it, have you been surprised at the, your arc your career has taken? I, I am surprised because, as I said, I, don't, I didn't think anything would really happen. I thought, mm-hmm. I'm just going to go to the desert and, you know, sit in the country club and have pina coladas yeah. at the pool. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I wor- I'm working really hard, yeah. but loving it, loving yeah. it. I mean, the lyrics, you know, when you're talking about all the songs and the lyrics and yeah. making sure. And that's a challenge with Mark and, and me with the, with our duets because, you know, we had to split it up. Like, you sing this phrase, I right. sing this phrase. You sing this line, I sing this line. Yeah. And trying to get that right. You know, yeah. we don't always have it perfect, but we go with the flow, you yeah. know, and we try to, you know, we don't try to step up. We try very hard not to step on each other's lines, but if we do, it's like, okay, we just go with the flow, you right. know, and the yeah. audience doesn't know the difference. Ex- As you know, you're a performer, you know. <laughs> you just keep going. You just keep going, yeah. That's right. Um, so do you, I mean, with the, the kind of voice, the classically trained voice, you, I mean, I'm assuming, do, do you, uh, uh, when you're not working, if you have a break, do you... Um, practice every day do you vocalize every day oh yes every day i mm-hmm. practice every day and i'm sure mark does too mm-hmm. yes every day of course you know like there is like on sunday after friday and saturday i do kind of chill on that in yeah. fact last sunday i was in my pajamas all day yeah yeah <laughs> and oh, I'm just like chilling you know you gotta do that too yeah the right. a question i always like to ask uh, singers i've had a lot of singers and performers on the show is when you when you have time off if you ever get a chance to go see somebody else when you go to see a singer live what are you hoping to see what do you want to see or see slash hear from them well i just want to be entertained and i'll mm-hmm. tell you we have a wonderful pool of fabulous entertainers in this valley i mean there's a lot of folks amazing. yeah amazing yeah. Amazing. I was just on the Mark and Tony show. I don't know if you've heard of them, but mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. have a YouTube channel yes. show. Mm-hmm. And they've had some amazing talent. And you know what? Their show has made me appreciate the talent that we have in our valley because I didn't realize the caliber mm-hmm. of the talent that we have until I watched them being interviewed and listened to them. And yeah. so I'm just looking to be entertained and I'm looking to, um, you know, the kind of material that they choose and and. You know, it, it, it's enjoyable. It's enjoyable to watch the personality behind the person yes. as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. Because we all have that. You yeah. Know? And it, you can't take that away. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I want to make sure we get this in. An evening of elegance, Fridays and Saturdays at the Indian Wells Resort Hotel, uh, starring the desert's rising star, Mark Antonelli. Again, Josh Groban, Michael Bublé, et cetera. And of course, former Broadway star Patricia Welch. Uh, let's see. Friday and Saturday, dinner and entertainment, 6 to 9 p.m. Make reservations because the shows get sold out you can call 760-797-8700 or manual at indianwellsresort.com okay uh entertainment fee 25 dollars. it's a beautiful room it's a really nice room too it is to and come. they put all brand new chairs in there these beautiful high back cushiony yeah. chairs you know you just feel like you're 
It's really elegant. Yeah. I mean, the ma- major yeah. change. Yeah. And it's called IW Live now. Okay. The showroom IW. at the Indian Wells Resort Hotel. All right. An evening of elegance. Mark Antonelli and Patricia Welch. Thank you so much for being here. Congratulations on the new show. I'll have to come You're check welcome. it out one of these Thank days. Thank you for having me. Oh, please do. And please let me know, Bonnie, okay? Okay. I will. All right. I, it's a okay. deal. All right. Email me. Okay. Okay. All, All right. right. Take care. You. Patricia okay. Welch. All right. Thank you so Bye-bye. much. We'll be back on, with more on the desert scene in just a bit. likes to read she likes to sing and act they both love the coachella valley and they love talking about the desert scene with you on radio 111 here's bonnie g and brian mendoza hey welcome to another segment of today in pop culture Yay! history so or at least it's not necessarily today mostly like the week yeah the week here we go the week so let's start with october 27th so in 1966 we got our first airing of it's the great pumpkin charlie brown yeah we love that it premiered on night on cbs and it aired and it's aired every year since then except for i think actually no it's actually it aired last year it's just that it aired in this weird thing where they finally put it on the it, networks. Yeah, it was streaming too, and you and had it was to pay for it. So, yeah, yeah. So it's up to you either way. But I think that I'm glad that it's still on TV every once in a yes. while because we need that. It's fun. Yeah. And 1955, on the same day, Rebel Without a Cause came to theaters. Did you ever see that movie? I did, actually. The movie itself is a considered a groundbreaking movie for how it looked at how American youth and their parents were not perfect individuals like basically the decline not necessarily the decay but sort of like deconstructing what the family, family was, unit yeah. the family unit and all that but th- I think one of the most interesting things about that is all three of the stars died in unusual circumstances James Dean was killed in a car crash so many was stabbed to death in a parking lot and of course Natalie Wood drowned Oh yeah, and which is kind of bizarre. It is one of those really bizarre things because it is mm-hmm. one of those things where, like in the movie, all three of them were troubled teenagers, mm-hmm. and so it so almost seems like they reflect Isn't real that life. Weird. What are the odds of that? All three of them, <sighs> you know? It's weird, and also because this is also a year where um, Natalie Wood, whenever movies gets remade this year, um, West Side Story is getting remade, mm-hmm. and it, it's coming out in two months okay. so actually next month because now it's going to be november pretty soon yeah very so, soon monday so yeah. it's going to be december that it's going to come out west side story so it is i mean it I, is i always oh, thought that was really interesting yeah. it's one of those things where i almost i always think of it as like this weird thing of three where like three celebrities of a troubled movie or production sometimes have troubled lives like the three kids from um uh, the different strokes TV show. Yeah, they all had major, they, yeah. They had major problems, but it is it is interesting that a movie about that. And uh, you know, and speaking of scary movies, Poltergeist. There's only two there, but the little girl Heather O'Rourke died of kidney failure or something as a yeah. child, and uh, 
uh, Dominique, Dominique Dunn was strangled in the driveway by her boyfriend. Yeah, the, the, the girl who plays her older sister yeah. in that film. Poulter, there is a whole thing on Shudder like I'm, I'm not I'm not sponsored by Shudder but yeah. they have this show called Cursed Films where they mm-hmm. talked about these troubled weird productions. things yeah and Poltergeist is one of the ones that had yeah. a lot of stuff yeah. happen to it and I always thought I'm not gonna make speculation but I always thought it was never a good sign for them to use actual corpses the actual skeletons for that famous scene where uh, a character dr- jumps into a pool and there's like actual like, oh okay uh, skeletons. Do you think that. maybe that was a curse of some kind? It could be. Maybe. I don't know. Like that's a little too. That, I mean, if there's something that's going to start a curse, that would be. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I and agree. What else? I was going to say, in October 28th, Elsa Lancaster is born. And for those of you who don't know who she is, she played the monster's wife in Bride of Frankenstein. Okay. That famous yeah. look with the hair with going the hair, yeah. hair. She was also she also had bit roles in Mary Poppins. She played Katie Nana. Mm-hmm. She also was in Blackbeard's Ghost and that darn cat. So she has had a yeah, she had a pretty good career. Pretty yeah. good career and all yeah. that. And I and what I think I like about her is that like her her character hardly does anything in the movie, but because she's so good in it, she sell, she's can she just sells it. And mm-hmm. so even though her character just sort of moves around and all that, there is something really. That's one of my favorite horror films is Bride of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. just because it's so. I'm gonna put it this way: so queer. It's okay. such a queer little movie. You okay. have to watch it. But in October 29th, 1993, the Nightmare Before Christmas premiered. Have you okay. ever seen that one? I haven't. It. Uh, I mean, I know Tim Burton's a brilliant guy, but it that kind of stuff doesn't it's not appeal to me that much. I mean, I know it was very, I, bits I've seen, it was very well done, but just not my kind of thing. I, I, I think you would appreciate the soundtrack. So if you ever sat down and listened to the soundtrack, you'd appreciate it. Okay. But it's not, I don't know if I would recommend the movie to you just because I, I do think the craft is there, but mm-hmm. I don't think the story is all that great. Like, okay. if you want a great story, that's not it. Okay. But the soundtrack... Right. It has some good people in it. And okay. then that same day in 1971, NBC aired a special called The Grand Opening of Walt Disney World, where it was filmed over three days. They had special guest stars, Julie Andrews, Glenn Campbell, Buddy Hackett, Jonathan Winters, and Bob Hope, where it basically was this opening of Disney World, mm-hmm. Walt Disney World. And did you ever get to see something like that? Like when they used to air like the... Um, the tours of the Disneyland and Disney World. I think I've maybe seen little bits and pieces of um, something like that. Yeah, I, I don't I saw, remember. I think I saw a little bit of it, but it, I mean, I almost want to watch it again because all those stars in it. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, if Julie Andrews is in it and Buddy Hackett's in it, then mm-hmm. I'll watch it. Yeah. And 1969, on the same day, we got our first email. The first 1969 1969 1969. wow so in ucla professor leonard uh klein rock and his student charlie klein attempted to send the first electronic message between two computers and all it was was just typing in login but they couldn't type the whole word so they just typed in lo so and the system crashed (laughs) we have a lot more so we're gonna be back with uh, amanda mcbroom who wrote the rose a lot of prolific songwriter the rose she's going to be with us in just a bit on the desert scene
Tony and Brian continue with the desert scene on Radio 111. Here they are. And we're back on the desert scene, and we are honored to be joined right now by a prolific uh, singer-songwriter, Amanda McBroom, who will be uh, appearing here at the Purple Room November 5th and 6th. Hello, Amanda. uh, How are you doing today? Hi, Bonnie. I am delighted to be talking to you on this beautiful, almost Halloween day. Yes, it is beautiful. So you have just had an amazing career. First of all, you just just writing the rose alone. I'm a singer, and I've done the rose many times. What a wonderful song it is for a singer. I have to ask you, was that something that you just sat down and boom, it came to you in a couple minutes? That's the fastest one that's ever happened, and I, that happened before I was officially a songwriter. That was it. I was songwriting was just a hobby with me, and that changed my life forever. Yeah, that's the fastest one. And so, uh, so which, so did someone call you up and was said we got this movie and we want this song for this movie or how did that happen? No, it was the strangest. Uh, I call it a I call it a blessing, a, a huge blessing. I had written the song, and two years later. They were working on this film, and my beloved writing partner, Michelle Browerman, who has been, she and I have been making writing songs together forever, and she called me up and she said, listen, they've got this song called, the, they've got this movie called The Rose, and you've written this song called The Rose. Do you want me to send it in to the film company with some of the songs that I'm going to submit? And I didn't know how to send a song to a film company, mm-hmm. and I said, sure, and I yeah. gave her my cheesy little cassette, and she sent it to them, and they liked it, and that and Bet liked it, and that's how it got in the film. And it was a miracle because originally they were going to call that movie The Pearl, which was Janis Joplin's nickname. Oh yeah. And her family wouldn't her family wouldn't let them use that. So thank goodness, because Rose is much easier to rhyme than Pearl. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So you must have been just stunned at the that this huge success that came from that. Totally. I was totally unprepared. For everything, and everybody kept looking at me and saying, "Oh, you're a songwriter," and I kept saying, "No, I'm an actress. I do theater. I do television." And, they, and my husband finally said, "Honey, what's paying the mortgage? Right. Do you think you ought to take a little responsibility for this?" <laughs> so and so, then did you did you did you just did more songs just kind of come to you after that, or was it yeah. a struggle? What? Uh, well, you know some. As always, some of them are dental surgery, mm-hmm. and some of them just flow in through the window. Yeah. And I always firmly believe that even if you write one that is just a stinkeroo, there is a line in there somewhere that you can steal and put another something song. else. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you do? I don't know the answer. Do you do both uh, lyrics and music? Sometimes. Okay. The Rose idea with some of my earlier stuff I did, and I write a lot of my really good ones with Michelle Browerman, my writing partner and pianist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, and I'm looking at your bio here. Uh, some of the songs in the Land Before Time film series and the musical Dangerous yes. Beauty. Um, uh, also, um, start in New York City, L.A., and San Francisco, and European productions of Jacques Brel, Jacques Brel is Alive and Well and Living in Paris. Tell me about that experience. Well, that was the beginning of my life in musical theater, really and truly. I, did, I was just out of college. I was uh, at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival as a straight Shakespearean actress, and I went into San Francisco with a friend to see a play by, called Jacques Brel, and I said, who's Jacques Brel? And my friend said, I don't know. I think he's French. Let's go. Yeah. And we went to see it, and <laughs> I was astounded. My, yeah. I, I, said, I listened to them sing, and my hair caught fire, and I said, I want to 
do this. I'd never heard music like that in my life. Wow. It was so sexy and smart and political and passionate. And I wound up auditioning and getting in the show. And also the star of the show at the time was the man who became my husband. Mm. Um, and so I learned, I learned all about how to sing that kind of music from him. Mm-hmm. And then I do believe that Jacques Brel is the person who made me want to become a songwriter. Wow. Because I learned about his storytelling, you know. Mm-hmm. To him, every, every song is an acting monologue. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that description. Yeah. And you made your Broadway debut in the Cy Coleman and Dorothy Fields musical Seesaw. Uh, tell yeah, me about was, that. Oh, well, you know, that was my first Broadway experience. I've met so many wonderful people, and I had this lovely role in it up until three weeks before it opened when they said, oh, no, we're going to turn this into a monologue and you can go into the chorus and wear 42 wigs and sing and, you know, and do high kicks. And stuff. Oh, my I gosh. Said, I'm not going to do that. Mm. So I was the first person to leave the show. Wow. Wow. Well, good for you. You got to stand up for yourself. Story. Huh? You got to stand up for yourself. Good for you for making it I didn't well yeah yeah and and I was very young at the time and not really one to stand up but that was just something I said I'm not made for the chorus yeah (laughs) yeah and I'm looking at your your television guest starring recurring roles Starsky and Hutch Star Trek Heart to Heart Taxi Charlie's Angels Lou Grant Mash wow lot of lots of television so what and voice acting as well so what would you what's your number one title I mean you do a lot of different things but what comes first is it songwriting is it singing now, these days, it's uh, concert work. Yes, it's, okay. it's cabaret and concert work and uh, songwriting. Okay. It used to be a lot more acting than there is now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the thing that's such a, you were saying, the thing about Land Before Time, my writing partner and I, we've written uh, the songs for 14 Land Before Time animated features, and mm-hmm. we're just working on another Curious George. So we write songs for, for, me, for animated films for kids, which is one of my favorite things in the world to do. Mm-hmm. It's so delightful not to write a love song, you know? Yeah, yeah. To so write a song for something, and knowing that little kids are going to sing your songs is huge. Uh, yeah. I think of myself more as a singer-songwriter than an actress now. Okay. Uh, so, Amanda, my partner Brian has a question for you. First, I wanted to say yeah. that The Rose should have been nominated for Best Original Song. That was better than Thank the Norma you. Ray song. Absolutely. That, that song from Norma Ray was not good. I, I listened to that. It was okay, but it, it was, wasn't The Rose. No, certainly yeah. not. Norma Ray's great, Thank but... I, I gotta say that I wanted to say that and also I just wanted to say that um, I noticed in your filmography that you were part of the music department of Only Yesterday which is a, a Japanese animated film and I wanted to ask you about how that worked out because I know that they have their did you do the dubbing for it how, how was that a challenge to be able to produce music for that film and trying to remain I faithful to, to it I have to tell you I have to I never knew that happened Really? The, the, the rights to the song go through Warner Chapel, and they never tell me anything. And I didn't know until like a couple of months ago that it was in that film. And so I immediately went and looked up that film and loved it. It's a beautiful film. And uh, I, whoever the lovely woman who was who sang it in Japanese, which thrilled me. You know, hearing a song you write in another language is so exciting. I hope you and got... I didn't know it was happening. <laughs> I hope you got paid for that, your proper payment for that. My goodness. I'm sure. Probably, there's probably some royalties in there, absolutely. 
I'll, now I want to make sure we get this in before. So that you're going to be at the Purple Room, November fifth and sixth. Yeah, I am so excited. Fabulous, I, and Michael I Holmes is that. wonderful. Yeah. Oh, he's he's adorable. The room is beautiful. Yep. And I must admit, I'm slightly nervous. This will be my first time in high heels in 18 months. Wow. Okay. So tell 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 me about how 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 you put together your cabaret show. I th- first of all, I think of where I am and who I think the audience will be. And, of course, with the Purple Room, you've got sophisticates and people who love to laugh and love to hear yes. good music. And then um, I think about, okay, we've got to have some standards, some things so that people's ears can relax. Mm-hmm. And then I like to add you know, some of my new stuff so that people will, because if I don't sing it, who's going to hear it? And then, so we, it's, it's a kind of a mix and match of things. Like I'll do a couple of Cole Porter tunes and then a couple of mine and maybe a little Jacques Brel. And it's a real mix and match. And I sort of, you know, I structure it like a carnival ride. You huh. know, you, you, you start in one place and then you go really high and then you dip down and then you go high and then you dip down. And hopefully by the end, everybody's standing up and having a great time. And and uh, tell me about the thing about cabaret. I think for both the performers and the audience is is the intimacy of it, and that that you that you they're really getting to know a little bit of who the performer is, not just enjoying great singing. Would you absolutely? As my beloved pal Michelle says, cabaret is personal theater. Mm-hmm. It's just you and a small intimate group of people sharing a night of uh, hopefully laughter and tears together. Yeah. yeah. Very intimate. Yeah. I love that. Are you, are you somebody that um, uh, vocalizes every day or do you have any special preparations that you do before a show? Uh, well, I don't vocalize every day. I started vocalizing like a month ago for this because I hadn't sung in mm-hmm. 16 months mm-hmm. either. So yeah, I said, I, do I have? Do I still have chops? Yes, yeah. I do. How lovely! Yes. Uh, so now I'm I'm you know working out every day vocally mm-hmm. to get ready for it, and then I'm going to try on my clothes and see what fits. <laughs> So, so uh, tell me about. Um, I want to go back to songwriting for a second. I've always been wondered about sure. this. People who write, particularly music, do you uh, do ideas come to you at three o'clock in the morning? You wake up and, or do you sit down on okay Friday? I'm going to sit down for a couple hours and see if I can crank something out. For me, it's when something when something just brings such a hard chime chime in my head. I say, oh, that's a song, and then I am compelled to sit down. I'm not. Uh, one, I am not a really, you know, professional songwriter. And every day, I'll sit at the piano until mm-hmm. something happens. I, I don't do it that way. I do it when the story wants to come through. Mm. Okay. And, uh, and also, I mean, you have had such a, a varied career and amazing. Is there? <laughs> is there? What's on your bucket list that you haven't done yet? Is there some project or some role or some type of song that you haven't done that you'd oh. like to do? Wow. Um, I'd love to go back and do a. I'd love to do a Broadway show. Yes, I would. Mm-hmm. Um, the I'm a little too old for the Julie Andrews roles, but you know I could. I've done Sweeney Todd before. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Or a little night music again in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. You know anything for, for the mature woman. How about how, how about Sunset Boulevard? Could you see yourself doing that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
that's a heck of a part and some great music. It's a, it's a heck of a part. You got to have some chops up there yeah, for that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What is your? I always love to ask singers if you're, you know, at a, I don't know, at a little club somewhere in New York, and a friend, let's go in to see a friend perform, and they say, Amanda McBroom's the audience. Come on up and do a song. Other than the Rose, do you have a go-to song that you'd like to do if someone asks you at the spur of the moment to sing? Well, yeah, I have a couple, you know, because usually, uh, yeah, there's one that I wrote that everybody seems to know, a, a lot of people seem to know, that I wrote for my father called Errol Flynn, which is another one of my go-to songs. Barbara Cook used to re- record it and used to perform it all the time, and okay. uh, it's kind of a cabaret standard. Okay, all right. And also, when you, I'd love to ask this question. When you go see another performer, what are you hoping for? What do you hope to see or hear from other performers, other singers, cowboy singers? Oh, I love to be thrilled. I love to be surprised. I love to hear songs I haven't heard before mm-hmm. or a standard or a, a standard done in a new, new way. fresh. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not arch, you know, not phony baloney way, just, you know, doing it with bells and whistles. But I love to hear other people's takes on uh, familiar material. Yeah. And I'm always thrilled when somebody sings one of mine. Oh, because yeah. Because they do it so differently. And I, I learn every time from people who do my stuff. And I yeah. say, oh, I can steal that. Okay, that's Excellent. Good. Amanda McBroom, what a delight. I'm so excited that you're coming to the Purple Room, November 5th and 6th, purpleroom.com. Thank you so much for being here. What a joy to chat with you. I'm delighted to chat with you. I need to talk to you more about you singing. Okay. You don't have to do that. We'll do that. Okay. We'll make a day. All right. Best of luck. Knock them dead on the 5th and 6th of the Purple Room. Miss Amanda Bro- Amanda McBroom, thank you so much. We'll be back with more on thank the Desert Sea. Have a great day. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. The Desert Scene on Radio 111. Cultural events and the people who make it happen in the desert cities with Bonnie G and Brian Mendoza. So we're going to continue our pop culture trivia. Okay. So October 30th in the year 2003, Wicked opens for the first time with Adina Menzel. I've never seen that. I wish I'd seen it with them, but I've never seen the show. I'd like to see it. I think it's a really great show Mm -hmm. because it takes this subversive way of like taking the villain from a musical from the wizard of oz and just flipping it upside down and mm-hmm. making you really sympathize with her and also mm-hmm. kristen chenoweth got engaged yay so, i saw a few months ago i did the open mic with um oh his name just went out <laughs> of my head um michael michael I'll have to look it up. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, that they do every now and then at Oscars and Open Mikey comes to town. And she was there one night. She she was there and, they, and she got up to sing. And she was with her sweetie at the time. So congratulations. That's great. Michael Orlin. Thank you. Orlin. <laughs> God, I <laughs> smacked myself. Okay. I was going to say that like, I'm always happy to see Kristen Chenoweth succeeding because I think those two just really are magnetic. And the mm. fact is that they, I, I don't think they get enough Parts. She she very she, lots of charisma. She, she's very bubbly and just you know seems like a very nice person. She, I chatted with her a little bit. She's a very nice person. Yeah. No, that's what I imagine. I also yeah. imagine that 
I also imagine she's very witty in real life. Mm-hmm. That she, yeah. That if someone throws something at her, she's yeah. very gracious. Gracious. And, and the one, the sw- song that I really love from that, a lot of good songs, but uh, because I knew you, uh, I've been changed for good. It's just a great song. That was a, a really great, good one. You know, girl buddy song. Yeah. I also, I, I I just love the fact that the original book itself wasn't very good with like the the friendship between the women. So like when the musical came in and changed that, I always thought of it as one of those things where the musical completely changed a book for the better Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. when you go back and read the book you almost feel like you're losing out on something because the two the two women are not really good friends as as they are in the music yeah and then the musical it's much more complex like you know um i think that alphaba doesn't feel uh, you understand her feelings a lot better in the musical as Mm -hmm. opposed in the book Mm -hmm. where you're like Oh, she wants to fight. It's very political. Like it's yeah. a really political yeah. book, and compared yeah. to like the show. But in the yeah. show, it's very like let's be friends, and yeah. the politics of the world are more of seasoning on top of this beautiful friendship, okay. and I love it. Okay. And that same day, October thirtieth, but in nineteen thirty eight, Orson Welles scares the world with the War and of the World. And he sure did. Yeah. <laughs> and he did create like not as much widespread panic, but still like enough for people to notice like. Um, it's from what I've heard is that it wasn't as big, but in a lot of towns, people did freak out and think that there mm-hmm. was an actual yeah, invasion. Yeah. And looking, and when you hear it, I, I'm like, it's it's a true testament to Orson Welles that he was that talented. He was a, he was a genius. Yeah. He w- apparently was could be prickly in person, <laughs> but he was a very talented guy. I saw this um video where they they recorded him talking about peas or something like that or like he was he did this commercial where he got mad at it saying <laughs> so you want me to talk about peas but not those types of peas these types of peas so what makes these types of peas better than these other types of peas <laughs> i just want to make sure because i want to understand you're directing you see oh, i wouldn't gee. direct my actors this way yeah and i was sitting there the whole time like Okay, Orson, it's just peas, you know. Just relax. Just, just relax. Chill out. <laughs> chill out. Like he would read a line and he would just stop himself every once in a while and say, I wouldn't write it that way, you see. Yeah. And I'm like, they're not writing Citizen Kane. They're yeah, writing he, the peak commercial. Yeah, an ego, ego issue, I think, yeah. <laughs> and then October 31st, not only is it Halloween, but there's also an interesting pop culture trivia. Gary Estrada, you might not know who he is, but he had the mission of visiting the Haunted Mansion 999 times at the Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. Why would Kingdoms. you want to do that? <laughs> so he um, started in January of that year and he finished on Halloween of that same year in 2005. Okay. And he said, "Why?" and they asked him, why did you do 999 yeah. Yeah. times? And he said, because of how many haunted haunts are supposed happy haunts are supposed to be living there so apparently there's like 9900 nine, <laughs> 99 uh almost a thousand ghosts living in there okay i would get tired i got it we I, I just got to throw this out we talked about this before scary because we're talking about halloween the scariest movie i ever saw for me of course psycho is right up there carrie is right up there but for me the movie that freaked me out was Bram Stoker's Dracula oh, the with one Gary with Oldman? Reeves. Oh yes, scared the you know bejeebers out of me. <laughs> that that movie just flipped me out. It really did. That one's a pretty scary one, and Ugh. I think that one of the scariest scenes is the one where the woman is like this seductress, and she's like, "Kiss me, my darling," and you can just see that she's just a full blown vampire, yeah, and it, that's scary. And it was for, really well done, very my, well done. For me, the scariest film I've ever seen. 
used to be The Exorcist, but I saw Peeping uh, Tom. I never saw The Exorcist is pretty darn scary, but I had already read the book, so at least you're prepared, you know, with Exorcist. <laughs> you know, this, the other scariest thing about The Exorcist is the fact that the sequel was as bad as I remember it being. I, I don't think I ever saw the sequel. I, I saw yeah. the sequel, and I turned it on, and I was bored halfway, and I said, this is, the true fear is dying of boredom See, watching sequ- this. sequels... <laughs> In general, I think sequels are not a good idea. They're making. Did you know they're for making? For the most part. Did you know they're making another s- trilogy of movies for The Exorcist, and they're going to have Alan Bernstein back? <laughs> okay, whatever. Okay, uh, thank you so much to our guests, Chip Miller, fabulous. Thank you, uh, Patricia Welch, wonderful song, and Amanda McBroom, what a delight. Thank you so much to our guests, and uh, if you're going to go out for Halloween, stay safe. Whether you're adult, child, whatever, have fun, but stay safe. We'll see you next week. Happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs>